Welcome to the Compliance Expert Radio Show, your source for the latest information on corporate governance, internal audit, stocks and risk management services, with in-depth interviews, discussions and insights from leading experts. Hosted by Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum. This is the Compliance Expert Radio Show. And now, here is your host, Sonia Luna. Hi, I'm Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, a GRC and compliance consulting firm headquartered in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm also a speaker and writer on topics like corporate governance, COSO 2013, ERM, SOX 404, quality assessment reviews, and related topics. My guest today, which I'm super excited about, is Professor Venkat Ayer. He is from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, and today we'll be discussing his recent research on job satisfaction in the internal audit profession, which was sponsored by the Institute of Internal Auditors Research Foundation. Venkat specializes in organizational and behavioral issues in internal audit firms and the internal audit profession. He began his career at UNCG's Bryant School of Business and Economics in 1999 as an assistant professor. He earned his Ph.D. in business administration from the GM School of Accounting at the University of Georgia in Athens, Georgia. He is a of my fellow brother. He's also a CPA, which I love, um, but still loves the internal audit profession and has many notable publications and honors, including a very prestigious one called the Teaching Excellence Award from the Bryant School at UNCG in 2005. He also received research grants from the big four firms like names KPMG and PwC and the obvious, which is the IAA Research Foundation. Welcome, Venkat. Thank you, Sonia. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. We are so glad that you're with us today because I came across your research. I was um, on the IA's website, and I, I get pinged a lot for a lot of different things. And I was kind of going through um, this publication about job satisfaction, and it drove me to kind of dig deeper a little bit because when I – uh, came across the research project, I was really impressed by by the actual scope and the detail in it, um, especially seeing that you had, I think it was something like 1,600 respond- respondents providing insight on what were their thoughts of, you know, what is true job satisfaction for an internal auditor. And in your research, you discussed this um, term, and I'm going to say it's, it's I, I quoted, organizational identification. Can you talk a little bit about organizational identification and also why is it important? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, You know, first, uh, I want to acknowledge uh, the support of the IAA uh, for this project. Um, You know, as you said, you know, we did receive uh, more than 1,600 respondents, uh, you know, uh, filling out uh, their um, survey instruments. Now, uh, definitely, uh, without IAS help, uh, I don't think I would have gotten <laughs> that many, you know, responses. Um, you know, before I start, you know, I just want to uh, say a few things um, about my background. Um, you know, you told me about, um, you know, my 
my educational background. Uh, I was also an internal auditor uh, prior to getting my PhD. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed my work as an internal auditor because I thought uh, or I felt that I was making a difference to the success of the company. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I started this project. I wanted to see what makes someone a happy employee, you know, mm-hmm. who go uh, to bat for the company, um, you know. Now, uh, when I talk about uh, this organizational identification, I, I bring in the analogy of the sports fan. Uh, you know, you are, we are all familiar with how uh, fanatic some of these fans are, you know. So, you know, if you identify with the sports team, uh, you know, you typically you feel a sense of accomplishment uh, when they win and, uh, you know, when they, are, when they lose, we are miserable. And, you know, these could be, uh, these teams could be from your hometown or from the colleges that you uh, went to, uh, etc. So in the same way, uh, an employee um, feels a certain sense of pride when his or her employer is successful uh, in business, okay, or uh, is known as the best company to work for. You know, for example, we have all these lists in magazines, and uh, so when you see that you are working for a company that is topping that list, you know, you feel a sense of pride. Uh, again, th- this, this is, you know, to some extent, you know, we call uh, organizational identification. Uh, the opposite is true as well, you know. Uh, obviously, you know, somebody, you, you know, you, you don't want to work for a company that has been, uh, you know, uh, involved in some shady deals, etc. you know, things like that. It's kind of like the um, somebody who could have worked, uh, such as myself, maybe at Arthur Anderson at one point in my career, but... Um, so I get a couple of different responses when I say that. Uh, for those people who know about what happened to Arthur Anderson, mm-hmm. I get you know from all the way from the left to the right in terms of, oh, th- that was the firm that did blah blah blah, or what was it like? And, and my typical response is, you know, the people that I worked with were very ethical, uh, very outstanding people, great training. I had a great experience. You know, it, it was. A, great firm and you know a few bad apples kind of ruined it for the whole bunch mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure it's true for, for an organization such as people who worked at Enron um, but you're right in terms of you know um, HR managers and heads of, of, of uh, we call it the department of drama you know when you audit the, the payroll it's mm-hmm. they yeah. have to um, kind of sometimes coax the CEO to say you know it, it, it behooves the organization to try to be on the top ten list of the best places to work at, and you Definitely. did mention there's there's a ton of different ways of scoring. There's a ton of different mm-hmm. uh, uh, places to to get that done, and there is this indirect relationship of if, if an employee is there working at that company and they make the list, mm-hmm. promoting it, making it a big deal, um, they feel like they've had a, a direct uh, or, or I'm sorry, an indirect impact to the results of that. You know, mm-hmm. good, good, bad, or, or indifferent, but. Yeah. It is, and it's part of their um, what I call personal branding, right? So when you go to a cocktail party, mm-hmm. most people want to know, uh, uh, you know, what do you what do you do at work, right? And who do you work for? Yeah. So, 
So that's part of their that that individual's personal branding is when they explain themselves of what they do mm-hmm. and what they what they're about. Mm-hmm. You know, saying something like, "Well, I work for Google." I'm sure that employee has a, an easier time mm-hmm. um, in terms of promoting themselves, but also um, you know that brand of, of Google is, is is such a high value brand. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what what in terms of internal audit and I'm I'm glad that you shared your past experience because it's uh one thing that resonated with me in, in what you stated was adding value. That was the first thing that caught my attention because I think that's what keeps me um motivated, passionate is I do think I add value. I think I add a different perspective of how an organization can move forward mm-hmm. to be more competitive. Mm-hmm. Um but what do you think organizations can do to improve job satisfaction of internal auditors? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, l- l- let me come to that in a you know bit. You know, let's. I, I just want to continue um, uh, and say a little bit about this organizational identification because it's it's very very important. You know. Uh, for a company uh, to promote this, because the reason is this is directly related to job satisfaction. You know, the um, the identification is more of a psychological construct. You know, how well you you are attached. Uh, you know, how strongly you are attached to an organization, and um, and the. This is associated or this is related to uh, job involvement, job satisfaction, and also um, the intent to remain. See, the thing is, you know, a lot of companies spend enormous amount of money for uh, hiring and uh, training and, uh, you know, making sure that the people, you know, people are happy and, uh, you know, to to retain the, uh, the uh, auditors and their employees. And you don't want to see... Um, you are, uh, you know, the people who you have trained leave after five years, ten years, fifteen years. So, you know, you want to keep them happy as long as you can. You know, so job satisfaction is going to be very important to do that. And um, uh, when he was talking about this, one of the uh, internal auditors said that, uh, for example, providing the right coaching and training, uh, mentoring. Uh, they said will build high level of job identification and satisfaction. You know, um, the what we find in our research is uh, when the auditor rises through the ranks, their uh, identification increases. That's not that's not a surprise, obviously. You know, uh, because you have more time to learn about the company. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, and obviously, if you are not happy, you would have already left. So people who are there longer, you know, they you know they 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 tend to know the company better, and uh, you know, they have uh, definitely you know more things to say about the company. Right, and uh, and not having that that mentoring um, aspect mm-hmm. to to your position, especially as you move up, mm-hmm. um, there's going to be some gaps in terms of the level of job satisfaction of where you thought you should be, let's say, as an internal audit manager and where you currently are mm-hmm. without a good mentoring or coaching or training um, process. You, mm-hmm. you start 
having this expectation gap, you know, I, I feel like I should be more aligned or um, attached to, to this organization, but I'm not seeing key results of them making that um, the best investment in, in that person, you know, in me, if, if I were a manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. that's very important. You know, this um, uh, mentoring is a very key element uh, in most organizations. You know, to uh, to integrate uh, the you know junior staff uh, into the company. You know, uh, I, I'm I'm sure that most companies do have uh, this process. Um, uh, we also find, uh, for example, I, I'm going to talk more about this later, uh, but using internal audit as a training ground for management, that uh, seems to have a high impact on their job satisfaction, definitely. In um, the same way, uh, you know, we, we we think, you know, when the, the standards tell us that internal auditors should be independent and we should have... Um, environment that supports their autonomy, uh, you know, you know they actually improve the inter, you know, job satisfaction for internal auditors too. Uh, you know, it's just not their objectivity, but they are also more satisfied when they are given the tools and the environment where they can perform independently, you know. And there is no interference from the top management um, or no pressure being put on them. Um. Yeah, I like to call it, um, you know, it, it's good to have positive pressure. So mm -hmm. if you align that the main objective uh, or main objectives of the internal audit group. So, for example, um, number of high-quality audit reports, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. it, it's, you know, setting a goal, um but you're not telling them they have to reach a conclusion on the reports. You're just saying it's got to be high quality. There's got to be at least some volume mm -hmm, uh, coming mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. Another would be, um, you know, uh, either time or dollar impact to the operations in terms of improvements. You know, setting a goal. It doesn't matter. We're not the organization doesn't say what it is, but you should come up with at least five per year. It doesn't mean they get implemented, but mm -hmm. we want to hear ideas to be mm -hmm. at least vetted out. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it's a it's a little bit of a pre performance pressure, but it's it's not a pressure that would compromise someone's ethics or, or values. It's saying, you know, that we got to have some benchmark to have have uh, some alignment that that can strategically add more value to the organization above and beyond just compliance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, so when I was an internal auditor, that's exactly what we used to do. Because whenever we go to um, audit a particular function or a site, you know, we did one thing that we look for is how do we um, add value? In other words, you know, what kind of suggestions can we give so that the company can implement and perhaps save some money in that process? Uh, you know, either through increased, you know, productivity or maybe, you know, uh, reduction in uh, wastage, etc. You know, so that's something that um, that was always at the back of our mind. And um, one other thing, uh, you know, is, uh, for example, uh, the ch 
chief audit executives when they report functionally to the audit committee, you know, rather than mm-hmm. to management, uh, that provides them with more positive, um, you know, uh, they are more positive about their workplaces or they are more satisfied. Okay, uh, you know, that's that's something that uh, came through uh, in our research. Yeah, it also, um, I mean, if we can just talk a little bit about egos here. <laughs> if, I, yeah. if I say I'm a chief audit executive um, and, and people, let's say, um, you know, people in the legal profession, et cetera, and they say you're part of a public company, they, they, they put you in the C-level suite, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. they, they make a correlation mm-hmm. immediately. They make a correlation between that level straight to the board, right? And so when they don't, I get, from from an ego perspective, I could see how someone has less of a job satisfaction if they're a chief audit executive. But really, the only person they report to is the CFO or CEO, and then that report goes to the board. They never get access to the board like another C-level executive. And so you have to question, well, wait a minute. I, yeah, I wrote yeah. the report. I know all the details. Mm-hmm. I should be... Um, accessing the board just like another C-level executive. Right. So I've seen mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of playing with the titles at companies. Mm-hmm. Well, they're they're just a director, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a director yeah. or it's really VP, vice president of compliance and that's why we title it and we put it under the CFO or CEO mm-hmm. and what HR doesn't realize is Everybody else's peer group, right, is starting to have that direct line to the audit committee. And so they wonder why these VPs keep churning over. Um, Well, I mean, it's not just one reason. I'm sure there's multiple. But um, just, I mean, job satisfaction, does. there is a correlation between providing that person the right communication channels, uh, especially in the internal audit profession, and it should be, to the audit committee, it should be at that board level. Um, it, it should be taken that seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it's done, I I have seen it in practice where it just doesn't work well um, not having that direct report. And and I think that most organizations are starting to shift their yep. mindset. And um, you know, I think there's multiple pushes as to what's causing that shift to allow the audit professionals to directly talk to the audit committee. Some of it's dealing with activism, lawsuits. Some of it's dealing with better education from the National Association of Corporate Directors. Mm -hmm. They're telling them, you know, it's not okay to have the audit function go to your CFO. They should be in the room with you in during your quarterly meetings as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's leaking out and corporate governance is becoming a, a bigger and bigger topic um, these days. And I wanted to, kind of switch switch gears on uh, a term that that I was not very familiar with but I wanted uh, you, you know in your in your research project you know mm-hmm. you you called out something that was very new to me um what did you what did you discover in this research pro- project dealing with this this thing called organizational professional conflict and and I think sometimes it's called OPC mm-hmm. but for internal auditors mm-hmm. yeah well, uh, basically, you know, when you feel uh, a sense of conflict between your professional 
professionalism and how you are being told to behave by your superiors. In other words, you know, are there any pressures put on um, you uh, by you know, like you know, like how we talked about just now, you know, the the reporting line, etc. You know, uh, are you able to perform um, professionally in your organization? Are you able to follow your professional standards, or are there any? Uh, so it could be, uh, it may not be direct pressures, but it could be subtle pressures uh, mm-hmm. put on you um, by the organization. So that uh, you know, you uh, you have to compromise your objectivity to some extent. You know, so that is what we call uh, pro- organizational professional conflict. In other words, you know, who do you follow? Do you follow your organizational norms uh, or expectations, or do you follow the professional standards? Uh, you know, it's it's always there. Uh, you know, especially you know, if, if you are a professional employed in an organization, then you know you are going to have that kind of a conflict. So that needs to be minim- minimized, obviously. Right, and and it's like you said, it's it's the organization is saying this is how we do it, this is why we do it, but you're, and you're doing it our way. But yet, if we have professional standards, best practices, mm-hmm. industry best practices for internal auditors, and it does not run in parallel right right alongside with the organizational practices mm-hmm. that provides um definitely an opportunity to create more stress than maybe what's re- really required what i have found is sometimes it's just a miscommunication mm-hmm. of how to really apply the standards to a, to an organization for example um most organizations, heads of organizations, don't understand the, the standard of having a quality assessment review done once every five years. And the standard does not say you should do it. The standard says you must, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. must yeah. do it. Now, to the organization, they might say it's a waste of money, or we, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You, you know, who's going? Who's the policeman that's going to, you know? give us a fine, well, oh, we don't get a fine, okay, let's not do it. Sometimes it's a miscommunication that they don't understand that there could be, there's two avenues to complete a quality assessment review. Mm-hmm. In other words, you can do all 80% of the work done in-house <laughs> and yeah. have an independent person volunteer, mm-hmm. someone in your peer group, right? Let's say uh, uh, you go to a chief audit executive um, set of roundtables in other words, there's different ways of getting the same objective done, but from the onset, what I find is so now it leaves the chief audit executive in conflict with the organization saying, okay, now you're asking me to write reports. Now I'm going to have to put this disclosure saying we don't really meet all the standards because we don't. Mm-hmm. you know. Um, and And there's different ways of achieving it. Um, and sometimes I just think it's it's more of a miscommunication of 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 how to apply the standards at an organization. Let's say if it's a very 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 small internal audit uh, shop. So, mm-hmm. I mean, what what should organizations do to try to try to reduce this this uh, OPC this organizational um, professional conflict? Uh, again, it's this, the same thing that we just talked about, whereby uh, you know you you empower the internal audit uh, you know team uh, 
you know, provide them more autonomy, um, uh, you know, they support their uh, professional, uh, you know, association, etc. In other words, you know, provide them training, uh, encourage them to become um, uh, certified, for example, uh, you know, provide them continuing professional education, etc. So basically, it shows them that you value this professional behavior from the employees. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's going to be very important. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, you know, make sure that you understand uh, what internal audit does and uh, how they help the organization. Uh, you know. So that that is that is the key here. Uh, I think. Yeah, it's kind of giving them some some autonomy, some authority. Yeah. Um, you know, letting them you know be the best of breed that they can be in their in 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 their job um, position. Mm-hmm. Um, now, many organizations use. We were talking about this a little bit earlier about the internal audit function as a training mm-hmm. ground for mm-hmm. management. And I, I've seen this in um, Kellogg. Disney, Nestle, I mean, some mm-hmm. really big names. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in in what ways does it actually either help or even hurt an organization? Yeah, um, you know, the, the survey shows that over 50% of Fortune 500 companies use uh, internal audit uh, function as a management training ground. Basically, what it means is, uh, you know, when you are hired as an internal auditor, uh, you are first posted to uh, internal audit, and maybe, you know, you make the rounds. After a few years, you are moved to other positions. You know, you could become um, a controller, or you could even go to a function like purchasing or marketing, etc. you know, depending on your interest. Uh, in fact, you know, the company that I was working for, you know, that it had the same uh, philosophy. Uh, some companies actually follow the alternate approach, whereby they uh, take employees from other functions and bring them to internal audit. But anyway, uh, but what, uh, uh, you know, researchers have found uh, is, you know, when you do that, uh, you are not objective because, uh, you know, you are uh, you know that you are going to go into other functions after three or four years. So if you are going to be auditing uh, as an internal auditor, let us say you are going to audit uh, the finance function, and if you know that uh, after a few years you could become part of that function, uh, you know, how uh, effective or how objective you are going to be. In other words, they say that your objectivity could be impaired by the knowledge that you could become uh, an employee of that function. Uh, right, later. you have a vested interest in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, on the other hand, what I found was this is a very um, effective way for an organization to bring in uh, somebody uh, and integrate them in the organization. In other words, you know, this actually we we see, uh, I, I, you know, our research shows that uh, the companies where this kind of practice uh, exists, the employees have, uh, the auditors have higher satisfaction, they have, um, 
you know, higher identification, you know, and their objectivity, at least from what we saw, was not impaired at all by this kind of practice. So in other words, this was a little bit surprising uh, to us uh, to see, you know, how effective uh, this practice was. Yeah, and I also um, believe that there's some other research that provides support on mm-hmm. when it comes to objectivity. Um, if you have a very strong manager and you're you're a staff level person, mm-hmm. um, you know it, it's not to say that you can't have your objectivity impaired. It, it's you have someone else to be accountable to. You follow. So if your mm-hmm. results on your work papers are not. Um, you know, written right, or you know the the um, structure of how you laid out your audit samples, et cetera, re- reach a very odd conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, it it you know when you have that stronger upper management presence in terms in terms of supervisory, you know it keeps you very objective because you know there are standards that they have set out that you need to meet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but you're right. I mean, I think I, I also can see the other viewpoint that. If I have a vested interest in being in a particular uh, department, sales and marketing, mm-hmm. what's the likelihood that if I find a gap or an issue, yeah. I raise it up and now I look like the policeman of that particular department head, you know, to yeah. that and and, mm-hmm. and do they even want me on their team when that's actually been a department that I've actually wanting to be a part of, but I I think it's also part of of people's true um professional character in other words um you know auditors sh- should should good ones really should have the character and the um professional presence to deliver hard messages because it doesn't matter what department you end up rotating into good leaders need to do that on occasion they're going to have to deliver a hard message. So if you haven't learned that in internal audit, mm-hmm. then you know you're going to what wait until you get into that department and then start learning how to deliver hard messages. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I kind of see both, and it definitely helps. I've seen it more help than than anything. Uh, organizations have taken apart their turnover costs, their recruiting time to <laughs> the lead time to get someone new in a position mm-hmm. and getting somebody who knows the organization and how it works and how it functions. You already in the beginning lop off an e- efficiency of two weeks because most orientations in very large organizations, they know the first two weeks, the, the you know, can you imagine being in, in corporate office at Google? I think the first two weeks you just have to know what all the, the what the entire campus looks like. Much, right. less, <laughs> much less what the every you know, what departments do. Yeah. And and therefore it would it would behoove a, a, a Google to keep their people longer if it meant that there was a path to some other department. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um yeah. and I wanted to move on uh to to some un, uh, unexpected uh, findings. Most researchers find, find something that was either, like I call it, the aha moment. So for you, what results were, were somewhat unexpected? Well, I wouldn't say no, anything like aha moment or anything, but you know, we did find something. Uh, for example, um, I didn't know this, uh, or I was not expecting that uh, you know the internal auditors uh, uh, do receive bonuses or other compensation which is tied to profits or other achievement of revenue goals you know and uh, you know in our research we saw that about 
70% of the people uh, in publicly traded companies and even private companies received bonus or other compensation that was tied to profits or you know achievement of revenue goals. Uh, you know, again, I don't know why um, uh, I didn't think that that was possible. You know, in in, in a sense that. Uh, now, looking back, uh, it's understandable because internal auditors are also employees of the organization, and they are also uh, vested, uh, you know, in the success of the organization. So, uh, but at the same time, you know, some people might think that you know doing this could um, affect their uh, judgment or objectivity to some extent, you know, because you may not want to. Um, have your uh, internal audit finding that might affect, uh, let us say, the profitability. Let us say, for example, you know, you, you are assessing internal controls and you find certain gaps and, you know, and uh, if you think that that's going to impact the report that goes out uh, to the public or whatever, you know, how, you know whether you would, you would be willing to do that or if you are uh, valuing certain assets, no. So there are many areas where uh, the internal audit findings could have an impact on the profitability or earnings of the company. So that's one of the reasons why uh, I thought that that may not be there, but uh, you know, there's large percentage of respondents are in fact getting, you know, bonus or other uh, type of, you know, compensation which is tied to profits. Yeah, I think that's a very um out of the norm from what our profession first started as. Um, and I think that, th I think there's a generational issue going on. Gen X and Y, um, you know, feel like they've earned certain rights, especially even on stock options, et cetera. So I, I understand stock options are, are one tool in the toolbox uh, of, of compensating um, people. Um, but I, I, I'm more leaning towards a more objective measure that <clears throat> the internal audit function, just to keep them objective, for example, I wouldn't want to, to put any motivation on them to, to hide a material misstatement, which could affect profits. If, if, yeah, my, yeah. if my traditional bonus structure mm -hmm. is based on profits, I wouldn't want that to even be a viable option for them. I would mm -hmm. say you will participate in a pool, a bonus, and it's tied to the results of what the department is supposed to achieve. Mm -hmm. High-quality reports. Mm -hmm. How do we come up with an objective metric on that? Some of it's going to be quantitative. Some of it's going to be qualitative. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a way to do it, and, and therefore you don't there's, – there's no upside of them or downside – for them to um, hide a, a material misstatement uh, or an issue that could result in a material misstatement. And I think that that was the trickier part when I also kind of found some of that. And I interviewed Sandra Alamo, who also kind of um, shares the same view with me, mm -hmm. that it should probably be tied to more objective measures that doesn't entice a group who's supposed to be um, this very independent party mm -hmm. to, to yeah. the process. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so, and so, not creating even a vehicle for that would be much better because then you know that the results are really the results. There's no, there's no hidden agenda 
um, because they would have gotten the bonuses anyways had, had, had they really met these other um, objectives. So That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a, a wonderful, compelling interview, Venkat, and, and I, I just want to thank you so much. I'm, I'm, ve- I'm very confident. I know that our listeners gained just a ton of value from your research on job satisfaction among internal auditors. And I want to let our listeners know that you can purchase a copy of the report on the IA's website. It's at www.theiaa.org. Go to the bookstore. It's $25, very, very cheap, but it's free if you're a paid member. So that's something to know. And then to learn more about our wonderful guest, Professor Ayer's research, please visit UNCG's website at uncg.edu. Thank you, Venkat, for coming on our radio show. Oh, thank you so much. This is Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, signing off.